Welcome to Unexpected Points. I am your host, Kevin Cole. I am joined today by Ringer staff writer Kalen Jones. Kalen is covering the NFL, first year covering the NFL, and we were talking a little bit before the podcast where he's covering it like a true blogger because you, you don't get to go out there and do anything, so you just got to cover it from, from your basement, <laughs> and then people can yell at you about the fact that you don't watch the games and you're just hanging out at home and you know nothing about football. So welcome to the NFL experience. It's been fun, you know, uh, getting acquainted with Game Pass, uh, actually having access to Game Pass. That was new this year. That was fun. <laughs> getting to, to see all 22 all the time. That was fun. Oh, my God. I remember <laughs> at the beginning of the year, there was an all 22 kerfuffle. I don't know if you remember. Yep. You may not have been part of this. Oh, but yeah. I did not realize that. I mean, this was bigger, I think, than a delay. Uh, I actually, it's probably a bad joke, but I was going to delay in the COVID vaccine. Like the people were just going insane for how, for how little access that they had to do the all 22. It was like, I, I, I didn't realize how much of the ecosystem out here. And how, I mean, there is so much great analysis that people are doing nowadays because of that democratizing aspect of having the all 22 to anyone who can, you know, pony up the dollar, the, the whatever, $60, $70 for a game pass subscription. Yeah, no, I, I think it's really good because the NFL, it allows, you know, everyone to really understand what they're watching and also gives you know the game just allowing you know people to understand it at a more granular level i think that really helps as far as like growing the game and getting more people interested and it just helps with basic comprehension of the game you know just like yeah. you know with pff like it, it, they work hand in hand film and the analytics i think it, it goes hand in hand in helping people really understand football yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that's why I appreciate the uh, the work that you do there. I mean, I remember that you had reached out to me a while back about getting some mm-hmm. numbers around EPA and scrambling. So immediately, you vault right to the top of the favorite football writers list as long as you're willing to <laughs> to put some of the nerd stats in there. But like you're saying, it's it's just good. It adds an additional layer of context. It gives you um, some. A jumping off point, I feel like, in a lot of discussions, too, when people are talking about – because ultimately when it comes down to it, people are saying what is more valuable, X or Y, and then you're kind of building back from that with all the different analysis. So I think it is a good starting point to at least come from, and then you can explain the context behind the numbers that you're seeing. Yeah, absolutely, and I think that's you know what makes, honestly, discussing the game so much more fun. And it's interesting because we've evolved so much. You know, I can, I can speak for myself. I'm only 24, but – you know, 10 years ago, when you're watching like, you know, first take and people yelling, basically, and, you know, basic football analysis, like, it, it's not the level that it is now, like the fact that we have like the national championship simulcast, like stuff where you have coaches who are sitting and explaining what they are seeing, uh, in addition to, you know, the regular broadcast, where you just hear someone talking about what they're seeing. Um, it, it's very fascinating. And again, like, I love PFF, you know, for me, because I grew up, you know, most people my age and I grew up playing Madden. So when I was in high school, I always thought, man, it'd be really cool if someone could just like take, you know, what players are doing and put grades on them, make an arbitrary number like Madden. And honestly, not not to, I guess, like lower the the level of like what you guys are doing, but it's it's super helpful as opposed to you know explaining the game and understanding what a player is good at and who's good and what they do well. It's super helpful, man. Yeah, yeah. And like and like you said, there is so much more out there. It was funny. I watched the broadcast. ESPN had a simulcast. Uh, I want to say it was for Ravens Titans where yep. uh, uh, Dan Orlovsky, Mina Kimes, I believe Marcus Spears was in there too. I, I don't know if it was the whole crew that was that was there from NFL Live and they were doing the game. Yeah. And I found that fascinating. I mean, I found that great. I, mean, I think generally the level of commentary is pretty good in the NFL. 
Um, we're doing a pregame sort of show at PFF, and I think the level of commentary there could maybe maybe take a step up <laughs> on some of these networks. So I think that's that's a place there. And I saw this very interesting thing last year where Amazon is kind of getting into um, oh, wow. the the NFL rights. You know, they they stream some stuff on their yeah. on their uh, Prime Video service. And last year for one of the games, and we'll see if maybe they do this going forward. They were allowing people to have the official rights and stream themselves uh, selected people, so they could kind of give commentary on the game. So I think maybe that's where it'll go eventually. It's just like all the different choices that you have for everything that you'll have choices for the analysis that you want to hear, and that's why it's good yeah. to hear it, unique perspectives out there. Absolutely. Totally agree with that. All right. So let's jump into the topical stuff here. Obviously, we're coming off of Championship Sunday. Uh, I'll just come straight off the top here. I was a little bit ambivalent about who I wanted to see win these games. It's interesting. I don't know if you ever had this phenomenon, but I thought going into the Tampa Bay Green Bay game that I didn't care who won. And then once it started playing, I started rooting more for for the Bucks than versus the Packers. Did you have any any rooting interest or just an interest on in who you thought would be the best Super Bowl? Um, man, that's a good question because I I think I fell into that bucket where I didn't care necessarily who won because you know, the narrative talk either way was going to emerge because it, uh, well, assuming, I was hoping that the Chiefs would win. That's the only team right. that, yeah. you know, I was hoping. <laughs> I think, yeah. you know, Unfortunately, Bill's Mafia, <laughs> we're sorry, Bill's Mafia, but right, yeah, I think right. most people were hoping for that. Yeah, I, I wanted to see Mahomes. And I, I think that's the thing, like sport, the definition of sport, you know, it's, it has to do with competitive entertainment. And uh, the most entertaining teams, in my opinion, uh, at least involve the Chiefs. And either one of, you know, quarterback play is so important and you know what we determine to be one a good team and what we determine to be entertaining you know i would have cared either way seeing tom brady or aaron Rodgers in that super bowl but i i think we got the better result because i i think at the end of the day like we at least for me i can say that i want to see the winningest quarterback who finds a way in tom brady he always finds these ways to somehow end up in a winning position go against mahomes and the chiefs who seem to, regardless of whatever the circumstances are, so far they've been a buzzsaw and just kind of maul, they haven't mauled teams, but last week that was the team that we, you know a lot of us expected to see throughout the entire season. So I think that's why it's super exciting because I think we got the two most talented teams going up against one another in the Super Bowl. Yeah, I mean, Green Bay was a, was a favorite in that game. Maybe they would be seen as being slightly more talented. I could see how your football uh, more of an aficionado, someone who really follows it, maybe would want the Packers thinking that they might have been a better team. But certainly from the perspective of bringing in, um, you know, these incremental fans, casual fans, Tom Brady is going to be a much bigger name there. Even though, you know, Rodgers was on this kind of GOAT trajectory at one point in time, someone who's gone to the Super Bowl 10 times versus someone who's gone to the Super Bowl, you know, uh, uh, one time, it's going to make a huge difference as far as people who are only around to watch the biggest games of the season. Yeah, absolutely. It kind of raises the stakes because, you know, that that's the narrative that we're going to hear for the next two weeks. And now for the rest of Patrick Mahomes career, you know, has to do with, you know, whether or not he's going to be able to catch Tom Brady. And I mean, he's the only one that looks like he's going to be capable of doing it in the league right now, considering that he has a chance to win a second Super Bowl by what, 25 years old. I mean, it's crazy. But also if Brady wins, (laughs) it gives him seven Super Bowl titles, which is absolutely absurd. And it just makes the, I think like when you look at the Chiefs window, the win right now, so early in Mahomes career, whether or not, you know, 10 years from now, we're going to be able to talk about and discuss 
whether or not Mahomes is able to, you know, even come close to that standard. I mean, it, th- this is just going to spark so much discussion for literally decades to come. It's very fascinating. Yeah, I mean, there, there's talk out there, and I, I can't say I disagree with it, that Mahomes, in some people's minds, is saying, you know, this is maybe the best I've ever seen the position being played, which may have been said about Rodgers also, like back yeah. in his 2000. 11 2012 2013 run that he had there multiple mvps before he had a bit of a rough spot there so yeah it'll it'll be interesting going forward but i'm what i was thinking about going into this there was a lot of talk about legacy and all these in in, for for both games i mean i didn't think the afc was as important for legacy wise because even if the bills won somehow josh allen while it's a huge mark to have gone to a super bowl you still could end up in this quarterback who had gone to one super bowl unless you had consistent play and continue to follow it up mahomes yeah, it would have been bad, but I think most people see him as the best quarterback in the NFL right now going forward. On the other side, I thought this game was most important for Aaron Rodgers as far as his legacy is concerned than anyone else. And it's, it's kind of what I was hinting at earlier, that within the game he's seen as as this high-level player, but he just doesn't have the the Super Bowl rings, only one. And again, even in the the play in these conference championships games, not that it's necessarily his fault, but now he's one in three in these conference championship games. Do you think this... Where do you put Rodgers after this? Do do you put any blame on him for this particular game or this performance or the fact that they did not come through? Yeah, I sat on this one a lot when you sent it to me. It, it's <laughs> I don't know where I put Rodgers because it, I don't. The guy's been on the doorstep now five times and he's come up short four different times. And I was looking at the teams that he, that he lost. So, you know, it's teams that were really really talented on defense. You know, the Falcons, the Seahawks. Um, the 49ers in last year's game, and then this year the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So it, it, the teams that he lost to, I would argue, had more talent, I, at least in my mind, they had more talented rosters, or at least they were able to hit uh, Green Bay where they were uh, deficient at. But I, I don't know what his legacy will be, because for me, he was, before Patrick Mahomes came into the league, there, to me, I, I think he was in that discussion and probably the top of it, as the most talented person who had played the position, like you mentioned earlier. And it, it was a really strange, you know, development because when you watch his tape at Cal, like he looks like a completely different player. Um, but, you know, no one had played the position the way that he had until he came into the league, someone with the aesthetic that he had. And honestly, he might have the prettiest aesthetic of any quarterback that's ever played, but Mahomes is more talented. Like there, I, I don't know how else to explain that, which and he's going to have the rings potentially he has, you know, the rest of his career to keep counting up rings and, you know, really surpass where Aaron Rodgers was uh, as far as legacy is concerned, and especially in the ring discussion. So I don't know where Rodgers will end up falling for most people. I asked my younger brother last night just to trying to get, like, what the younger generation's perspective of Rodgers would be. And he was like, you know, people my age only see him as like an above average quarterback, he, well, a top tier quarterback who just never won Super Bowls, similar to Drew Brees. He kind of falls in that bucket of guys who just didn't win Super Bowls, but kind of falls in the what if category or probably should have been um, in terms of what their talent presented and what their teams lived up to being. So it's really interesting. Kind of like, I don't want to say Brett Favre because this that's the name that kept coming up to me because you know, obviously, besides being a legendary Packer quarterback with awesome commercials, who's probably going to be on our TV screens for the you know the next ten years, um, you know he he 
the way that I heard about Brett Favre get talked about by people older than me was this guy who had insane talent, uh, just never really won that many Super Bowls. And it's it's kind of fallen in the same bucket in that regard. Yeah, I mean, I think with Favre, one difference potentially, I mean, I, I probably have to do research just to make sure I have the overlapping years correct, but yes, I, I think the <laughs> NFC was pretty stacked. It was pretty stacked back right. then um, with the Cowboys and the 49ers were, were very competitive. I would say... Rodgers, in some ways, had a little bit of an easier time. I mean, the Seahawks were there, right? So the Seahawks were, were competitive right. for a while. But the AFC, just for the fact that you got away from the Patriots, you know, if you're in the NFC, was, was a big deal. I mean, a team that, like, you know, Brady, again, he had nine Super Bowl appearances before taking up all of this space over there. And then you had Big Ben with a few and, you know, a, a, a Flacco here or there for, for good measure. And then now, now Mahomes may be filling that, that same role there. So I think that he maybe had more of a chance there. All first-time depositors at Monkey Knife Fight that put at least $20 into their account while using promo code PFF will receive a free PFF annual Edge subscription. That's a $40 value for just $20, and you'll get the opportunity to turn that $20 into even more money playing daily fantasy and prop games at one of the fastest-growing fantasy sports sites in the USA in Monkey Knife Fight. Go to Monkey Knife Fight and deposit your $20 with promo code PFF today and receive your free PFF Edge annual subscription. And I'll say another way that I think Rodgers is different, and I think this came into play in this game a bit, at least in how you contrast him to Tom Brady. Um, I mean, you might not, not be familiar with this, but there was some criticism of Rodgers in the in the in the dark circles of some analytics web, where looking at him and saying flipping flipping things that are supposed to be positives on their head, like the fact that he has this insane. Uh, TD INT ratio, right? He 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 never throws interceptions. And people would say, well. You know, if your team's only winning ten games a season, it, it, which he was in some in some years, some years worse, like maybe you should be throwing more interceptions. Maybe you should be taking more chances. And if you looked at what Tom Brady did, I, I mean, you should be taking more chances, which would then result in in more interceptions. I guess is, is the way. And you look at what Tom Brady did this last game. I mean, he had those three interceptions, but when I look through some of the advanced stats, his numbers didn't look that bad because. You know, if, he's, if you're throwing a 30-yard interception on third and two when you're about to get sacked, it's not really that, that bad of a play. When, and when, you, when he's throwing up a jump ball like Chris, that Chris Godwin ended up getting in that part of the game, again, that was another one where very easily could have been an interception that he's throwing up there. Now, Rodgers did throw an interception, but it wasn't in that same way. But I think some people do look at his performance, and at least comparing to what Brady has done, another guy who has a very low interception rate over his career, but Brady was willing to just put it up for grabs sometime where it seemed like the risk was appropriate. And he was rewarded. I mean, you could call it luck, but you have to put yourself in a position to be lucky also. Yep. And that's the thing with Tom Brady. You know, uh, I think throughout the course of his career, you know, he's been very, very fortunate, but you have to put yourself in the situation to be lucky in order to be lucky, like you just mentioned. And I think, you know, people who look at Rodgers and say like, hey, is, he probably should have taken more chances, man. I don't disagree with that, but the efficiency within the structure of the offenses that he's played played in and the fact that he operated at such a high level, I don't know if we can always pin it on, you know, him just not taking more chances. I think, you know, what he was able to do and, you know, the course of his career, I don't know if I'll knock him for not being more aggressive and pushing the ball downfield. You know, like, I think he's done that enough. It's just, it's felt like, Honestly, it's been more team um, centered, like shortcomings as opposed to 
falling on Aaron Rodgers majority of the time. There's definitely been performances where, you know, he he's been the cause of them not winning. But I don't know if I agree totally with the whole he should be throwing more interceptions. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's one of those things that's very easy to mock because it's like, oh yeah, interceptions. Let's those are like let's let's do more of that. That's a great thing. But I mean, I, I think there's some truth to it. But again, not, not as much. And I also right. like you mentioned the, the the surrounding team. I mean, that's a big thing where it used to be part of the Peyton versus Brady comparison where the reality was that the two of them uh, from their own stats offensively had those teams didn't really perform that differently. It's just the Patriots had this really, really great defense, especially in those early years when, when Brady was winning championships. Now Brady has really turned it on in the last four or five years since Peyton Manning has, has been retired. I mean, he was awesome in 2017, even though they didn't win the Super Bowl that, that year against the Eagles. And he just, he just trailed off last year before that he was, he was pretty good too, but he still does have this good defense and where Rogers on the other hand, surprising because I don't necessarily think of the Packers defenses as being, you know, bottom barrel, but of the major big time quarterbacks who played in the in in the playoffs, he does have the worst defense as far as on average how they've performed in the playoffs for him. Yeah, and I think that that was honestly the biggest shortcoming. Like you look at the formula for beating Tom Brady, like over the course of years has always been get pressure on him. I think there I think next gen stats had, you know, Brady as getting pressure like five times, you know, last week. Like that's absurd. And I think a lot of the credit one goes to Tampa Bay having an elite or at least a top tier offensive line, especially in Tristan Worse over there at tackle. Um, but, you know, the Packers just didn't have, a, they had a non-existent pass rush. And then you look at the opposite, you flip it where Green Bay didn't have David Bakhtiari. Their offensive line looked, look, I mean, even in the previous matchup early this year, you know, Tampa Bay was able to generate pressure. They had uh, Vita Vea who was able to completely disrupt things in the middle of the pocket. And you had Shaq Barrett and JPP off the edge. Like there was just too much uh, as far as the surrounding parts. I think in this matchup, when I look at it, I, I just thought that was the biggest difference that Green Bay's defense. I mean, even in, when you look at the secondary and, and what they have in terms of, you know, the greatness of Jair Alexander and then the drop off between him and Kevin King, who, you know, I, I don't mean to pick on him again. I mean, it's R- just RIP. It, it, <laughs> yeah, it's just it's such a significant drop off. I mean, you look at the receiving corps, Devontae Adams is in one tier. And Al Lazar and MVS are in another. And it's just these drop-offs in talent as opposed to the steadiness of, I mean, Tampa Bay. And even looking at the AFC, the Chiefs and the Bills, like there isn't too much of a drop-off, you know, between the elite parts and, you know, the the what should be a, a number two uh, pieces for them um, in specific position groups. So I think that re-watching the game like that was what really stood out to me and felt like the major difference between the two squads. Yeah, yeah, and obviously people on that Scotty Miller touchdown, he wasn't um, our our dearly deceased, uh, was not necessarily (laughs) put in the best position on that also with that coverage. So I think it's those... All those, all those things come together, and when they're all hitting right, they're hitting right, and when they're not, they're not. Uh, it's interesting. You mentioned uh, Bakhtiari and his injury. Yeah, I was looking at some of the numbers. I mean, it was a pretty limited sample when he was out, but it looked like the Packers' mm-hmm. offensive line since he had been out was not giving up, before this game, was not giving up more pressures on average per drop back, but, he, but Billy Turner was for those that were credited specifically mm-hmm. to him. Um, I mean, it was something absurd for Bakhtiari where he's only given up like – 
three pressures or four pressures the entire year or something like that. So the fact that that Turner had given up, I think it was nine or ten in in, in the games that he had played, didn't you know in, in the few games he played wasn't that bad. But again, like in this game, you know he he gave up four pressures, uh, and there were also uh, just everyone, both both um, Billy Turner and Rick Reiner combined gave up seven pressures, and this it was just really effective pressure as far as how, how often they were able to sack Rodgers too. So th- that was a huge, a huge difference in this game. Finally, the 2021 NFL Draft Guide is out with 150 player profiles, everything you need to be on top of things well before we get to April when your team is on the clock. You can get it with an Edge or Elite subscription. Use promo code SUPERBOWL25 and get 25% off those subscriptions, and that promo code is active through Monday after the Super Bowl. That's 25% off an annual Edge or Elite subscription, which includes the 2021 NFL Draft Guide with promo code Super Bowl 25. Now, maybe do a little bit of Super Bowl preview here for, for this thing. So this Tampa, okay. the, the Tampa Bay defense, where do we rate them versus... Okay, I would say this. So I thought the 49ers defense last year was really almost perfect for what you would want to have go up against it. And it worked for maybe two and a half quarters, something like that fairly well. I think this Tampa Bay defense is maybe close, even though they got completely smoked, at least in the first three quarters against Patrick Mahomes earlier this year, when, um, when Tyreek Hill had, I think 200 yards in the first half or whatever he ended up having there. Do you think that defense can compete now with the chiefs? Uh, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) That's probably the most honest answer that you could come up with. Yeah. I I hate, you know, I hate uh, having the answer. I mean, when you look at, you know, Tampa Bay secondary, there's so many young guys there and they're definitely talented. Like Sean, Sean Murphy bunting and uh, Carlton Davis, like those are very talented cornerbacks. And we've seen like, I think throughout the year, they had so many different up and down uh, uh, performances between the two of them because they're just getting acclimated. But we saw last week and even the week before that, and at several points this year, like they're, they're capable of playing at a high level. I don't know if they're going to be able to slow down Patrick Mahomes. Though. I think it comes down to how much, again, you know, we can say try to get pressure on Patrick Mahomes. That could be the way to beat him. I, I know that was part of the formula for when the Raiders uh, beat them back in, I think, week six or week seven this year. But it, I, I don't know if that's going to be enough to slow down Patrick Mahomes because uh, even if Tampa Bay, let's say they were able to jump out early and get out to an impressive start, I think it was Seth Kaiser uh, who wrote about how, you know, Patrick Mahomes, you know, and the Chiefs, ever since he's become the starting quarterback in 2018, they're just on another planet in terms of EPA and the rest of the league in terms of what they're able to do per play. And, and, and even when they're down in football games, like they're just a buzzsaw. It does not matter what you do against this team. So I don't, I don't know. Like the honest answer is, I don't know if there is a way that you could slow them down. Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill, if you slow them down, now you're dealing with Sammy Watkins, Nicole Hardman, um, and even potentially Clyde Edwards, you and the rest of that running game. Like it, it's a buzzsaw. I don't know what you yeah. do against them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. I think there's been this, question as to whether or not the Chiefs are a team that can turn it on, you know, because they've been playing better in the playoffs this year after not being so great during the regular season this year. It was similar circumstance last year. And 
I don't know. It's it's really, I mean, reflexively, I would push back against something like that just to assume that, you know, the larger sample, we're going to throw a sample in here, the larger sample that that's more representative of what's going to happen, this and that. But I do think we have a little bit of a hint with the Chiefs and the fact that, like you said, when they've been down, and especially when, when it's been a third down, when they really need yeah. to make a play, um, <laughs> they've been so good doing that. So maybe they treat a playoff game like, like the entire thing is a third down, right? Like this is like all – this is they really can laser focus in at some times when they really need to. And maybe that explains in part why in the playoffs they can take their game to the next level because they are locked into that degree in a similar way as they are in the highest leverage plays during the season on third down. Yeah, no, and, and that's the thing. Like in the crucial situations, like I've never seen a team, at least personally, where – you just kind of expect them to convert. It could be third and 13 and you're expecting Patrick Mahomes to find a way to convert it. Um, and then that's the other thing too, like their defense, they, they generate enough tur- turnovers where, you know, they, they make enough plays to help their offense out. And this is such a high powered unit that, you know, it, even if you have a lead, it can evaporate like that because of what they're able to do in terms of generating explosive plays and just cons- consistently, that's the thing. Like, they do it just so consistently. And I think it's a credit, one, to, you know, Patrick Mahomes and, you know, the skill players that they have, and also Andy Reid and Eric Bieniemy, what they're able to do in terms of scheming things up. As far as them being able to turn it on for the postseason, I mean, I, I thought throughout the entire year, they went, they played nine one-score games. They went eight and one. Like, and people were questioning, like, whether or not, you know, this was who they would be going into the postseason. And throughout that first half against Cleveland, before you know we saw Mahomes really get hurt I thought they were going to coast to another win you know I thought they were going to to dominate them and then Mahomes left and the scoreboard looked completely different than what it probably should have been and then this game was a you know exactly what we expected I feel like what we expected from the Chiefs throughout the entire year they just have too much firepower yeah yeah and I mean we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about the Chiefs later but I think they may they may even like be taken to the next level defensively in, in a way too, which is which is scary yeah. <laughs> when, the, when those two things start start to come start to come together. But I mean, getting back to Packers Bucks, okay. So the the right. one play everyone's focused on um, is the field goal attempt, fourth and goal from the eight yard line. A little bit over two minutes left to go. Instinctually, did you did you did you digitally yell on Twitter when that happened or physically yell at home when you saw what was going on? What was your reaction? And then looking back on it, do you still have the same reaction that you thought at the time? Yeah, no, because I I, I just kind of my jaw dropped. I just kind of stared. I'm like, what are what are they doing? Because, you know, obviously, again, like my thing, you hear coaches say it all the time, control what you control. And to me. If you have an opportunity against, you know, Tom Brady, that that alone, I know, you know, I, I've been a proponent for, you know, following analytics and trusting, you know, what the numbers say in circumstances. But, and I, I know we make fun of coaches for saying, oh, it's a gut feeling or it's a morale thing or whatever. But if I'm looking on the other side and I see the one quarterback in the history of the NFL who has somehow made it to nine Super Bowls at the time, now 10, if I can put him away or at least – make his you know situation a little bit tougher i would have taken the chance i i, I still feel like i would have but again I, i'm someone who makes one of coaches for saying oh i felt i should have done it <laughs> i'm being a hypocrite here but <laughs> yeah yeah i mean i think i mean I, I think the numbers could go either way i mean the, uh, the, the the larger context was that the packers 
were in a bad spot. I mean, I, I like yeah. I don't think people realize the this whole one score game thing has become uh, perverted a bit because it becomes like, oh, it's a one score game. But a one score game does not mean you score a touchdown and you win the game. It means in this in this instance, you score a touchdown from the eight yard line. Right. right. Um, then you convert a two point conversion to tie the game. Then you give the ball back to the Bucks with two minutes left, where they just they need a field goal to win the game. So then you stop them. Then you go to overtime, and then you win in overtime. So it's like a bunch of different things, guys. It's right. not you go for it on fourth down, you score the touchdown, and you win, which I think, or, or you're you're in a position to win. So I think that's probably part of the decision. Although, like I said, I don't think it really. It really matters that much either way what what the choice is. But I think that's probably the thing is quite often over going to overtime is equated with winning a lot of the time. And scoring right. a touchdown is equated with getting eight points somehow, even though, again, you're just splitting your odds in half there. Because I think even by uh, Ben Baldwin uh, and his fourth down bot there, he had it being slightly better to go for it. But it was the difference between a 10% win probability and a 9% win probability. So it's still pretty right. small for what people would have seen as being a, a quote-unquote one-score game. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like, they, they were in just such a tough position. And then I, I think what really screwed them over was, you know, the, the first play that Tampa Bay had after following the, the kickoff. Like, they got lucky enough to where the two-minute two warning wasn't exhausted. So you have four stoppages of play. And on the first play, they gave us a nine-yard uh, nine play. And so it put them in position to face second one, third one. That, that would have exhausted all the timeouts. They were smart enough to, you know, try to allow – or I think they, they took an intentional penalty, and Tampa Bay, for some reason, accepted the penalty, which, you know, gave them automatic first down. But, you know, I, either way, like you're saying, it, it was a 10% shot versus a 9% shot. It Ultimately, I don't think it would have made a difference. I just think, you know, if you have a shot, if I look on the other sideline and I see Tom Brady, you know, screw the numbers, man. I'm I'm going to try. I'm going to go out blazing, you know, like I got to oh, go yeah, for the touchdown. Yeah. I mean, if the numbers were certainly there to make that decision. So, again, I'm not like – I'm not saying that they shouldn't have, but I think when we discussed right, the right. – the the bills and some of their decisions those were much more clear as far as why they they shouldn't have done what what they ended up doing pff in sunday night football's chris collinsworth is teaming up with one of the best players on and off the field 49ers all pro cornerback richard sherman the chris collinsworth podcast featuring richard sherman is available now wherever you find your podcasts they will provide the most interesting football conversation in sports every single week and sometimes that means the discussion will venture off the field, too. Additionally, Chris will be taking a dive into the game of football as he sees it, inviting in the best and brightest to talk about everything that is happening in the great game of football. Mark your calendars. You do not want to miss the best 60 minutes of insight this season. Um, but another thing that, that I, I thought was interesting is, so after the game, there was a lot of talk about, again, with Rodgers, where... Rodgers does this thing where he's not like explicitly throwing anyone under the bus, but he is not not throwing them under the bus. In other words, he's not he, he's not a rah rah sort of guy, right? I don't I don't think I don't I don't I think he's measured rather than being like I'm going to be fake about something. I'm going to be very measured. He almost he almost reminds me of like kind of like Obama answering questions sometimes, where there's this long pause and then he's coming out. So he's saying I think exactly what he wants to, to say, and when he said after the game that, you know, it's not my decision. 
Uh, I thought that we would have another shot on fourth down. So that in and of itself is, is kind of is kind of a thing there. And then he went even further into talking about, you know, a lot of guys aren't going to be here next year. Maybe I'm maybe I'm one of them, that sort of thing. Are you buying any of this Rogers dissatisfaction, which could lead to something just jarring for a franchise where he's been there and he's been the guy. They've had two quarterbacks basically for the last, uh, you know, 30 years where he could be someone who actually ends up leaving in the off season. I don't know if I buy it. I mean, we, to me, when, when you look at Aaron Rodgers, one who's super, super, super thoughtful. I mean, he's, you know, maybe being, you could say it's dramatic, but it's, it's just the reality also true. Like he legitimately does have no, uh, at least idea of like what everyone else's futures are like that that's just right. a fact of matter so if you take it from that perspective as opposed to you know looking at you know analyzing the the tone of his voice or his mannerisms when he said it you know it's it's the truth like no one knows what the future is that's what it is and I, I don't think that he's going to go anywhere you know I think the owners came out today or somebody within the Packers organization said Tuesday that you know they, they would be idiots if they let you know, Aaron Rodgers go and they, they would be idiots if they let Aaron Rodgers go. Like, I, I don't think that, you know, he's going to go anywhere. I think it was just in the moment. He's a competitor, you know, you, in, for him to have gotten there five times. And I think he mentioned that it takes so much for a squad to get to that point and for him to get there so many times and to not get over the hump for the fourth time. I mean, that that's got to be devastating. I can't imagine because, you know, for fans, for observers, you know, this, if you, if you're a Packers fan, for example, you know, you carry this for a year. If you're an observer, you probably wonder for like six months, oh man, they could have done X, Y, Z, but you know, a year from now, we'll forget about it. Aaron Rodgers, this is his life for NFL players. That is their life for that one game to go awry. And again, for them to get there so many times, I understand the, the gloominess and the woe is me attitude, I guess, because yeah, I mean, it, it, that sucks. You, that This is your life. This is what you get paid to do. This is what you invest your time in. So for him to come up short again, I'm not surprised that he felt that way, but I don't think he's going to go anywhere. It's just in the moment. Yeah, I mean, those those legacy issues that we talked about are probably hanging on him a bit here. Uh, I mean, unfortunately, no, no matter how good someone is, assuming he has a couple of good years left, uh, I mean, maybe three, you know, maybe four. It, it dep- I guess nowadays it, it can extend a bit longer. But, you know, the odds are against him getting to the Super Bowl again, probably, right. when you look at the – or winning a Super Bowl is, uh, in particular if you think about 32 teams and Patrick Mahomes isn't going anywhere and a lot of these a lot of these guys aren't going anywhere. So, yeah, I think that's that's part of it. I wonder how much – is still on his mind about what happened in in the off season. And there's a little thing going on now where certain Packer Packer backers, you could say, these Packer Packers fans, maybe people who podcast or write on on blogs about the Packers who are trying to defend the draft and the lack of really utility that they got out of the the 2020 draft by taking in this season at least, right? So that you know taking right. Jordan Love in the first round uh, taking A.J. Dillon in the second round, who played some um, in particular because of the fact that Aaron Jones got injured, but didn't really play for most of the season. Jordan Love, I don't think I'm not sure he was even active the entire the entire season. I don't I think I don't think he was even the backup the entire season. And then uh, Jay Sternberger in the in the third round, who was played sparingly the entire time. And then on, in free agency, now they spent a ton in free agency the year before when they brought in right. uh, Zadarius and Preston Smith and Adrian Amos and all these guys. But it was really just a couple of lateral moves and there wasn't much else there. So 
I wonder how much he's still thinking about the fact because I don't think Aaron Rodgers is someone who forgets who's like water under the bridge. I'm 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 gonna forget about these things. I wonder how much he's still thinking about the fact when these comments come out that this is a team that you know you're, you're this close to getting right. You're just you're just a, you're this close on all these different games of, of going there, and you had a draft that just really, and especially a first round pick that was just ne- never in the plans to help you get that marginal benefit that, that could make the difference between going to a Super Bowl or not. Yeah. That's the thing. Like looking back at, you know, the draft classes before that, it, it was really interesting because, you know, over the past like four or five seasons, you've had at least two or three guys where the Packers have, you know, hit a bullseye in the sense that, you know, we get a guy who's either a rotational player or he's starting and developing in some they didn't get anything out of this draft other than, you know, potentially Jordan Love being their quarterback down the road. John Runyon was off the lineman they selected who didn't appear at all this year, I believe, or played sparingly at the most. So if I were Aaron Rodgers, and again, like we mentioned earlier, if I looked at the squads of, you know, Tampa Bay, what they were able to do, if I were looking at Buffalo, what they were able to surround Josh Allen with, and even Kansas City, like it, it would be really, really frustrating for me to think, okay, cool, like we have all of these pieces in place, like at least supplement, you know, the elite talents that you have in uh, certain position groups and add someone who's above average or look to improve there. So that way, you know, it gives you that added firepower going into uh, the, the regular season and the postseason. And it, it's, it's really strange because you, you have this quarterback who's proven, at least early on in his career, what he's able to do when he's had, you know, a full – uh, a cupboard of, of weapons around and really since you know like mid 2010s I mean Green Bay hasn't invested at, at least in my opinion as heavily as they probably could have in giving you know Aaron Rodgers you know elite weapons and maybe that has something to do with like it being difficult to recruit players to Green Bay but if I had the chance to play with Aaron Rodgers and be on path to again not face Tom Brady and potentially get to a Super Bowl I don't know how that is in the selling point yeah, yeah, and like I mentioned, a lot of those names we're talking about last year that they brought in, you know, primarily on the defensive side of the ball, right? Where Rodgers could point to them um, in these last two conference championships, where they couldn't stop, where um, uh, Raheem Mostert was running for right. like 17 yards a carry, and then the, right. the, this, this year <laughs> they're, they're having trouble stopping Tom Brady as not being that great. And I guess when I look at the draft, I mean, I, I wasn't, I wasn't as, I wasn't super low on the Jordan Love pick because you figure, hey, if this is the guy who can be the future, this and that. Um, I was pretty low on AJ Dillon pick just because right. it's you know you could you can wait especially when you have Aaron Jones and you have Jamal Williams and you really want like every year to be productive for a, a running back who's taken in the first two rounds. I don't think you want to be able to say, oh, this will be the, our guy to step in if we don't re-sign those two players a, a right. year from now. That just seems like a little bit of a waste there. And then I mean, when it came to Sternberger taking him in the in the third round, I mean again tight end. H back, whatever you want to, whatever you want to call them, not really a fast developing position in the NFL. I mean, sometimes you can have them that, that develop well. So it was almost by design that they were drafting players who were going to be useful in Aaron Rodgers, you know, year 38 season, year 39 season. Yeah. It just, it's almost by design that they were not giving him something there. And I think that's, it's not just saying, oh, this is like a results-based thing and they made picks that could have been helpful, but they got unlucky. I think it really, they really weren't trying to, to push, push the chips in on this season, where you see a lot of teams who are doing that um, all, you know, almost every year. It, conceivably, they seem like they're, they're just going all in over and over again on their aging quarterback. Yeah, and, that, and that's the thing. It has to be frustrating at some point because 
in a way, you could say either they're preparing for Rodgers of his 38-39 season or they're preparing for when he's gone. And right. maybe that is the failsafe, you know, and, and it makes sense. So, again, that that's why the comments, the way that Rodgers presented them, <laughs> are being analyzed the way that they are because the Packers set it up this way to where they have a, a backup plan in, in place for a contingency whenever he decides to leave. And Rogers is looking at it like, well, they didn't invest in me while I was at literally a, you know, a career best season in a lot of, in a lot of categories. I don't, I don't know, you know, that's the thing. And I think he's being honest when he says a lot of guys' futures are uncertain. It's the fact yeah. of the matter. Yeah, no, that's the, yeah, that is the reality of the NFL. Although when it comes to the franchise quarterback, normally, Normally they're they're not going anywhere unless the team really really wants them to go. Right. I mean, Deshaun Watson's going to test that uh, this, this offseason to see if there is such a thing. But I can't really think of another circumstance beyond Carson Palmer just deciding to retire that that, that that's ended up or, or, or retire <laughs> pretending to retire uh, before <laughs> ending up going somewhere. So uh, okay, well let, let's look at the Bucks opponent. Uh, so they're going to be facing the Chiefs. Let's mm. talk about that game a little bit here. Um, you know, it wasn't close. Obviously, it was. A nine nothing lead, although six of those nine points were scored off of a muffed punt. Uh, the first drive for the Chiefs, Tyreek Hill dropped what would have been like a forty five yard completion, and that was the only time they were stopped the the entire the entire game. Um, was do you think this is a game after having watched it? Do you think this because again this is like a three there were three point favorites, so even a, even a tighter mm-hmm. spread than it was in the other game. Uh, the Bills were surging going into this. Do you think if the, if they just ran this back, let's say, twenty times, uh, thirty times, is it going to be only an incremental like amount of times that the Kansas City is going to win more? Are they going to win fifty five percent of the time, or was something revealed in this that our perceptions of these teams were wrong and the Chiefs really just are a tier above uh, the Bills and everyone else? Well, I, I definitely think that you know the Chiefs are definitely a tier above you know the Bills. Like, well, how big of a tier, baby? Like, like is this like, a, is thing, like yeah. a little step, or are we talking about you know you're on the trampoline and you're trying to get up onto the onto the roof of the house? Right, and I, I think that's the thing. Like, it, it kind of is a trampoline, and it depends. And a lot of it comes down to how well Josh Allen can do, and he kind of reverted to what we had seen you know the year previously, where he was taking bad sacks. You know, he, he was able to do some things with his legs later on in the game, probably could have used his legs a little bit more. But, you know, Kansas City was able to generate consistent pressure on him. So it's not like, you know, he he was, you know, out of fault completely for hanging on to the ball too long or anything. You know, Kansas City just turned it on when they needed to. And I, you know, I don't know if there is, I'm sure there's, you know, a way to, you know, cleanly explain that using numbers and data and even analyzing the game. But it just looks like, you know, Kansas City is just able to flip a switch that, you know, their elite players play like elite players. The way that Chris Jones was able to affect the pocket, the way that Frank Clark uh, was able to play last week. Uh, you know, their secondary getting some production from who, who was it, Rashard Fenton, who they selected a few years ago in like the fourth or fifth round getting an interception. Like they, they just get production out of their guys. And it's crazy that they maximize their players and put themselves in a position to be successful. So again, like, Tip of the cat to, to you know Steve Spagnuolo for what the job that he was able to do in constructing that game plan to slow Josh Allen down. But until we see a more consistent Josh Allen against these top tier defenses, because the week before, you know, I know that Buffalo won by two scores, 
but Josh Allen didn't play all that well against Baltimore. I, at least in my opinion, like he, he didn't look that great. And so I wasn't too surprised by him not showing up against Kansas city. I thought he would improve a little bit, but he didn't, he didn't look that great. And a lot of it had to do with the pressure and the way that Kansas city secondary was able to affect their receivers, especially using press man coverage. I think that was another key difference uh, last week too. Yeah, I mean, I, I thought the pressure was really interesting. It was the most interesting part of the game, how much pressure they brought, how effective it was, how they weren't burnt. They didn't get burnt on on yeah. on the pressure where that's part of this. We talk about this one score game thing with with the Chiefs. I mean, this is I, I'd, I'd have to recall all the different plays, but at least anecdotally, you know, they were up multiple scores in some of these games, but they were giving up some big some big plays in order to let teams right. back in back in some of the time. So that didn't really happen. So I thought. I thought that was interesting, and it, because going into this game, um, you know, if you looked at a, and there's an analytical breakdown. I think Shil Kapadia and some others were doing some good analytical breakdowns at the Athletic, where they were saying, "Let's look at your splits, your pretty common ones, right? Let's look at man versus zone coverage. Let's look at pressure against the blitz versus not against the blitz." And Josh Allen this season was playing like Patrick Mahomes light as far as destroying uh, man coverage and destroying the blitz or, or, or playing relatively well against the blitz. So the, the, the calling card was maybe you have to play them like they're going to play Patrick Mahomes in a lot of these games, like the, like the Bills played Patrick Mahomes, right, where they just sat back and said, we're going to let you dink and dunk. But the Chiefs didn't do that. And I think that was actually very smart because while you, sometimes we want to make a big deal about these splits, you know, how, how quarterbacks play when they're under pressure is the least consistent part of their game. So I think – yeah. There was more of a chance that Josh Allen was just on a hot streak this season. Not that he doesn't have a high floor still, but he was just on a super hot streak this season. So we we probably should add less confidence that he really was this blitz killer, that he could just destroy the blitz. And Spagnolo just said, you know, we're not going to change what we do. We're going to continue to do that and bet on the fact that maybe that's going to come back to earth because of the fact that that's so inconsistent, um, how quarterbacks play against the blitz. Yeah, no, that that's a really good point. Like the inconsistency as a as opposed to like quarterbacks who play well versus the blitz versus when they don't. I mean, we saw. I mean, Justin Herbert is a good example. He was yeah. horrible against the blitz in college. Like that's why I keep watching <laughs> him at the NFL level, and I'm like, how was this guy this good? Because his senior year he was so bad against you know pressure, and this year he turned into a pretty solid quarterback. Um, but yeah, I think no, he was our highest down. rated. At one point, he was our highest rated quarterback. Highest graded quarterback under pressure. You know, so it's just like, whoa, out of nowhere, Which right? Which yeah. absurd. That's what I'm yeah. saying. So it's like, is there a regression to the mean that's due for Josh Allen? I mean, I, I don't know. That's the thing, like moving forward, because I, I think he's going to have games where he obliterates teams against the Blitz. I think that it'll be like three games out of four that he's going to be able to do that. I, I, it depends on, again, like how who is surrounding him and supporting Cassidy. When you have five guys, and really they, the Bills have probably the best receiving course in the league, at least one of them. When you talk about Stephon Diggs, Cole Beasley, Gabe Davis, um, like th- that's that's a pretty solid trio. And they weren't able to generate any type of separation against Kansas City's guys this past weekend. And it really hurt what Josh Allen was able to do. So I, I think it kind of goes hand in hand. I think watching what the receivers were able to do and what they weren't able to do and Josh Allen just kind of getting flustered and reverting back to, you know, kind of old habits, especially taking like the really, really bad uh, sacks and trying to extend plays too long. Um, and I think that's who he is. Like, 
this is the funny part. And sorry to ramble so much, but like, yeah, yeah no, if, no, you, go ahead. If, if you've said Josh Allen stinks, or if you said Josh Allen is really good, you are right. Because that's just, he is like, he, he played, there's a really low floor, I feel like, but I think the ceiling is so high. And for so much of the season, he was able to consistently play at that high potential that a lot of us saw coming out of college. Like the talent has always been there. It's just that he wasn't able to put together. I think moving forward, he'll probably be that type of streaky quarterback where, you know, you'll have like three, three really good games. And then the fourth one, you'll be like, well, that looks like Josh Allen from his you know second year in the NFL. Yeah. It's, you know, okay, okay, this, this comes into play also because of he's now eligible after this season for an extension uh, for uh, a new contract. And generally, if you know you have the quarterback you want, the earlier, the better, because um, you're you're putting these years on the end of another season and a fifth year option, and then you're putting these on the end. So we're talking about, you know, uh, even a four year contract. It's a, it's really a six year window that you're getting against this this cap, which will hopefully be rising. And then you know the negatives of COVID and everything else are already built into those numbers. Now, it's funny when you mentioned the floor there because I agree he still like has a huge variance from side to side. Right. I think the floor, though, I, I was I was kind of encouraged by by, by the floor because um, when he talked about his, his playoff performances, I mean that game against the Texans last year, last year, some of the plays were, I mean it was glorious. Don't get me wrong, it was it was it was incredible. <laughs> like the 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 attempted lateral, the yes. throwing the ball into triple coverage with the fullback down on the on the wheel routes, you know, thirty yards downfield, and just other things to do. I mean, it was like. I mean, yeah, that was that was a that was a whole new level a new level. So I think when you right. look at his his grading this year, yeah, I mean he he was he was worse in the playoffs. I mean, I, I look his grading he was sub seventy for his for his grade versus he was about ninety during the season. But you know, even seventy, like he was seventy during the playoffs dur- during the during this. It's it's he was you know sixty for his entire season last year. The ups and the downs, right? Um, right? So he was still playing at a higher level in a bad streak than he was the old Josh Allen w- was playing for the entire season. So I think in some ways that is encouraging. And he seems to be someone who really wants to – really is working on his game, who is really trying to get better. You don't see quarterbacks. I mean, I think this may have been the greatest leap I've ever seen for someone from their second to third year. Normally, yeah. they're they're pretty you – know, they're not fully developed, but that leap has already happened. In, in their second year, and then there's not as much going forward. So he does seem like someone who works on his game a bit. But you're right. There are certain plays, and it could have been worse in the playoffs because there were twice he, he got sacked and he fumbled um, right. against <laughs> once against the Ravens, once against the Colts, where his offensive lineman recovered it. So, I mean, they could have lost right. to the Colts, right, if that, if that would have happened in week one. And there's these plays like last week where he had three sacks, but I think he took like 150 yards of, of, of sack yards on, on, those, on, those different, on those different plays and the, and the intentional grounding. So, yeah, there are definitely those bonehead plays. But in some ways, I think the floor is higher. Um, is it high enough, though, to say, here's your $40 million a season? Because I think you, ha- you have to ask for the Deshaun Watson deal if you're, if you're, um, if you're Josh Allen here. Can you sign that over to him at this point, or do you think there's value despite the noise? Because there's going to be a lot of noise if you don't make that move this offseason. Do you think there's value in saying, "Hey, you know what? Let's let's uh, let's lock in that fifth year option. Uh, let's let it play out another season, and then you know we have multiple franchise tags. We have all kinds of time to uh, decide what we're going to do." I think you have to you know resign him at this point. To me, especially, I think it's really big that they they were able to retain Brian Dable. Like for him to not get a head coaching job during this cycle was really, really big. I think for Allen moving forward, because 
what he was able to do in terms of development. Like, I loved your piece about it, like how Allen made this miraculous, you know, third, uh, third year leap. I, I think he's, I don't know if he's going to regress too much. Like, and that's the thing, like, like I was saying earlier, I think three games out of four, you're going to get a Josh Allen who's closer to the potential, like the high potential player that, you know, he's capable of being, as opposed to getting that fourth game where maybe, you know, the floor for that fourth game is a little bit lower, even though you'll get sprinkles of the boneheaded plays like the bad sacks or, you know, just throwing in in the triple coverage or doing something really weird. But (laughs) um, I I don't think, I think as time progresses with him, I think you're going to see less of that. And I think it, it makes more sense to lock him down now because, quarterback play is such a premium like for him to even be an average player if he were to somehow like regress and precipitate like you know being a a mid-tier player I I think you know Buffalo for them that would be solid because I I, honestly I trust what Brandon Bean can build around him on both sides of the ball they've given him all the weapons offensively they've gone after very aggressive defensive backs they've built their defensive line really really well um, I, I just trust like what that organization would be able to do in terms of maximizing the talent that's already there. Cause there's not too many quarterbacks in the NFL, at least moving forward, who will be six foot five, 240 or whatever he is, be able to run the football and also pass as well and chuck the ball 60 yards downfield, flicking it when he's falling out of bounds like that. The, the talent is just too much to pass up on. And we've seen what he's capable of. So it just makes sense to sign it. Yeah, yeah, I, I I agree. And again, it's one of those things where hopefully you can structure it in a way with the additional years that you're not necessarily going to be super under the gun. And I don't think their cap situation is really very is, is really awful there either. They don't have a lot of highly paid players. I thought the Tredavious White contract was really looked pretty good. Honestly, it was it was very good mm-hmm. in comparison to someone. I mean, he's not on the same level as Jalen Ramsey, but there was such a huge gap there that it was good to see that they weren't paying, you know, top top-notch dollars there for a player who is who's maybe in the in the bottom of of a of a top tier type of player there uh, so I guess for for you know so we talked about the fact that we, he could probably be extended now I, I, I got to get into some of these McDermott plays unfortunately to see to see what's going on here <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I mean there's not really that much to say quite honestly they had the fourth and three and the, uh, there's just an interesting part is we – again, we had the fourth and eight at the end of the game for right. Lafleur. We concentrate on that a ton, even though there's a tiny bit of, of value there. Now, the the worst decision from a win probability standpoint was the first quarter decision um, where I don't think people thought about it a lot because it's fourth and three, and fourth and three is not necessarily uh, go for it every time. But the fact that you're in this no man's land, they ended up kicking a 51-yard field goal. Now they made the 51-yard field goal, but that's not a gimme. So the fact that you're going like a, a pretty difficult field goal rather than go for it on fourth and three, that was the worst one. The one that's getting a lot more attention, which was also much, much worse than the Lafleur decision, was and not to attempt it from the two-yard line right before half, which... If they scored, um, I'm trying to think what it would have cut it to at that point. I think it would have cut it to five at that point if they scored. So they ended up uh, kicking it instead. Do you yeah. – and, you know, the explanation afterwards, McDermott said he wanted to get the points. Isn't that, is, there, is there any justification for this? Is there – like I'm trying to figure out how I can wrap my head around this because the Bills were really, really good at going for it when they yeah. should have been going for it for three years now. Did he just get tight? Was there just uh, – you know, it was – it would. Did, is that what happened to McDermott in this situation? I think it's like 
I, I guess I'd attribute it to false confidence and false hope, I guess, because, you know, typically against, I, I guess you would think just about any other quarterbacks outside of Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, Patrick Mahomes, like you think, okay, cool. Like I'll, I'll kick a field goal to give my team, you know, like you said, the morale of being down nine points as opposed to what was it? Um, <laughs> 12, which, you know, it's still yeah. a two possession game, but I guess, you know, the morale of that is like, Hey, we got points on the board. We're going to slow them down the second half and get right back in the game. Problem is you're going up against Patrick Mahomes or all these other elite quarterbacks who you are assuming you're going to slow down. I think that's the wrong presumption is that, you know, you're thinking that you're going to be able to catch them on, in terms of points. When you have an opportunity, again, like, you know, the coaches in this control, you control, when you can pull yourself within one possession from the two yard line, there's no excuse for you not attempting to be aggressive, especially in a win lose situation with a Super Bowl on the line, potentially. Like, it, it doesn't make sense to me that, you know, he decided in, in that situation to go and kick the field goal. So, yeah, it, it seems like he just got tight and just kind of overthought it. You're at the two yard line. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he also mentioned how Kansas City was getting the ball first in the second half as a reason to kick it, where, yeah, again, I, I mean, I, I understand that you don't want to suddenly look up and, you know, 90 seconds into the third quarter, you're down 19 points. And I think that was really right. what, what he was most most concerned about. Um, but it's like you almost you almost need points more because Kansas City is likely to get – an extra possession in the second half, so you're even you're even in a relatively worse spot than what you thought at being down. You're not just normal down, down uh, twelve at that point, but it's even worse than than being. And you're going against the Chiefs. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I don't. I, there's nothing really we can say about this. I mean, other than I don't. He must have had someone in his headset telling him what to do because he's been so good at doing this. So I right. I, I, I was. That's another reason that I'm very very surprised because he definitely had someone telling him, and he had this had to be a veto overrule type of situation. And it it just you know, yeah we we, we can't really we can't really yeah. explain it going forward. Um, in these uncertain times, life is full of questions like when should I start thinking about life insurance? But however difficult these questions may be, Western and Southern can help you answer them. Backed by over 130 years of experience, together we can look ahead to leave the unknown behind. Western and Southern Financial Group, life insurance, retirement, and investments. Compensated endorser products issued by member companies of Western and Southern Financial Group, Cincinnati, Ohio. Well, one other thing I wanted to mention about the, mm-hmm. the the Chiefs and the Super Bowl here and kind of how they're performing in the playoffs. I'm wondering if, again, you know, uh, you're you're a, you're a young guy here, so you may not you, you don't have as much experience with with old goat uh, Michael Jordan as you do with with LeBron right. James. You're probably you're probably a LeBron guy. You're a LeBron guy or not? I am a LeBron guy. Oh, yeah, man. of course. <laughs> you have to be. You have to be. You have to stick you got to stick with the the uh, the, the younger crowd there. But yeah. it reminds me a little bit these last two seasons with Patrick Mahomes. It reminds me a little bit of these Michael Jordan seasons where there were a couple different times where you know, they got, you know, the 70 wins once and they, and they did that during the regular season and were and were dominant. But there are other times where they didn't have home home court advantage in the finals playing against Utah. Carl Malone won the MVP. And then in the playoffs, it became the playoffs. And I feel like this is a little bit of what's going on with Patrick Mahomes now is, you know, he didn't win the MVP last year. He didn't win the MVP this year. Probably. We haven't, we haven't seen it yet. But he didn't win it. Um, I guess Pro Football Writers Association already came out with theirs and they gave it to Rodgers. And I think that'll happen right. for AP too. I mean, maybe it's one of those types of situations where everybody knows who the best player is, but – 
you have to give the award to the to the player who had the best regular season, and then uh, Mahomes is just ready to you know rip out your heart when it, when time comes to it in the playoffs. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a great comparison, right? Like, it, and I know that it probably seems early for a lot of people to make that comparison, but you know, like I was saying earlier, like before Patrick Mahomes, like Aaron Rodgers was the most talented player, but now it's like Mahomes has the talent. And he has the kind of clutch and luck factor that Tom Brady had, you know, very early on in his career. But I think, you know, Stephen Ruiz like was tweeting about earlier. I didn't pay too like look too into it, but you know, like early on in Brady's career, you know, he relied on those defenses so much. Mahomes won an MVP like his first year as a starter. Like this is this is a guy who is legitimately the best player in the league at 25 years old. And so as far as like him being able to turn it on, regardless of whether he's winning, you know, MVPs and awards and whatnot, you know, it's just a fact of the matter that, you know, this is a guy who is going to find a way. Like, that's the thing. If Tampa Bay goes up in the Super Bowl, I'm not going to be shocked at all. Neither should anybody really else, considering the comebacks that he's able to mount in the playoffs previously, when you talk about the Texans uh, last year and even against the Titans last year, and then uh, the nine point comeback in in the first half, he evaporated that within the second quarter. So, it's just a different type of player. I don't know. Like there's nothing really to describe, you know, what we're watching at this point. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's getting really tough for me, but I've, I've been someone who has held out a little bit on the Tom Brady goat thing. Now it's, it's, so I'm kind of hoping for like, can we, can we we fast forward Patrick Mahomes, career so I can just put him as as the goat (laughs) and not have to put Tom Brady there. And part, (laughs) part of the reason is what you talked about. I mean, okay. It shouldn't matter. Like, the draft pedigree and that sort of stuff. But let's face it. I mean, Tom Brady, he was, you know, he was a six round pick. He sat for a while. He was, I mean, supposedly when, when they brought him in for Bledsoe, it was almost like a coin flip. They were deciding which backup they were going to, they were going to put in there. He hadn't really, you know, shown himself that, that right. to that level. And like you mentioned, you know, he started, he started winning these Super Bowls, I guess it was back in 2003, maybe was, it was the, was, yeah. was the first one. But so he started winning these Super Bowls pretty, it was 2001. It was pretty, it was pretty early. Oh, wow. Um, and then he didn't win MVP until 2007. So, I mean, it's not right. like – but that was really like he took he took the performance to a level where he was starting to match, you know, Peyton Manning and some of these other guys who hadn't had the, the sort of success there. So I think for a, re- for a reason, I've kind of been a little bit of a hater on Tom Brady for that reason. But now he's just really making it hard. And if he, if he wins this championship, right. it's going to be nearly impossible. I may have to capitulate and just hope that um, Mahomes, Mahomes can come around here. All right, so we'll yeah. – we'll, you know, I'm sure there'll be plenty of time to talk more Super Bowl, but I just want to talk the one other piece of business here. And I wrote something about Matthew Stafford here. Maybe, maybe you can convince me. What is your opinion on Stafford? Because I feel like he's a guy who is viewed always at, in my opinion, the high end of maybe how he's played. I mean, he was a number one pick. Was he a true number one pick prospect? I mean, probably. He probably had that that sort of talent. Uh, he was the highest paid quarterback in the NFL when he signed an extension, despite the fact that he was good, but he hadn't, he hadn't been great. And then now going into the trade market, there's talk as if any team, you know, picks him up, throw a couple of first round picks or maybe more at them. And boom, you're, you're competing for a championship potentially with them there. Do you think that he is really worth that type of investment for a team in free agency? And there should be uh, really a bidding war, which there may be um, over, over bringing him in for teams who want to compete this season. Well, I, I know that he provided stability for Detroit, and I, I know that's probably not saying a lot, but for a franchise 
that, you know, has had so much bad luck for what, 50, 60 years or whatever it is, like, that's a pretty big deal for him to have performed that as high a level as he did. And like you're saying, it wasn't always consistently a high level, but I don't think he was in an organization or even on a team in a situation where he was, you know, due to prosper. He dragged Detroit to three or four playoff appearances, which, you know, is pretty decent. Like as far as him being, you know, on that quarter, on a quarterback tier, he's like squarely in that above average uh, portion. I don't know if he'd like be a top, five guy I don't know if there's ever been a point in his career where he's come close to being a top five quarterback but I mean the talent has always been there the guy has just been in a situation at least to me where you know outside of you know the early or at least the middle parts of his career uh where you know he had like Jim Caldwell and Calvin Johnson was still there like I I don't think Detroit has really ever had like I mean Kenny Galladay is cool like he's a solid weapon uh TJ Hawkinson's pretty nice uh DeAndre Swift is cool but it's like I I think you put him in an organization that is really missing a quarterback that is set to compete I I think that he'll he'll surprise people I kind of am I guess I'm higher on Stafford than most people are I I just think he's a a squarely above average quarterback which is honestly it's so important and can get you you know so far you know we look at the past five years quarterbacks have made you know title or NFC title games include Case Keenum Nick Foles, and I think Blake Foles in the AFC in one year. So it's like, why not Matt Stafford? Yeah, yeah. I mean, Stafford is – I mean, yeah, I, so I looked at his his weapons over time. Yeah, I guess that's one of the things where, you know, Calvin Johnson has actually been running routes for almost half of his career dropbacks. Now, a lot of those came early in his career when he was throwing the mm-hmm. ball – like 700 times a season or whatever it was when they were when they were down so much so maybe that conflates it a bit golden tate let's not forget golden tate i mean it is prime oh, he tate, was yeah. he was he was pretty he was he was pretty good so he's like kind of the other guy that was around there for about 40 percent marvin jones jr depending upon what you think of him um he was you know he's been around for a while but yeah he didn't have much depth outside of that they spent uh a first round pick on brandon Pettigrew at tight end who never worked out eric ebron Famously, a couple of picks before Odo Beckham Jr. that they spent in the first round where it didn't work out. So, yeah, they haven't had a lot there. Their offensive line has been okay, but but not great. Um, I guess my thing is when I look at him and I say, what about someone like a Derek Carr, let's say? Yeah. How much better is he than Derek Carr? And if Derek Carr requested to be traded, what would, what would someone give for Derek Carr? Second round pick? Uh, something like that, Ooh. where we're talking about multiple firsts for Matthew Stafford, or would someone give more for Derek Carr? Am I sorry? Am I, I don't want Derek Carr to like no, block the no, podcast somehow. But if he <laughs> if he hears this, but but like what what would someone? You know, so th- that's my thing. I just feel like what incremental benefit are you getting over in a season when you know there could be a lot of names out there to potentially mm-hmm. be had also. So I think that's an interesting thing. You're not necessarily going to lock them down early, but there are going to be names who are going to be floating out there, whether it's uh, Teddy Bridgewater or Jameis Winston or, you know, rookies that, that are coming into play. Um, like Gardner Minshew, I don't know about that. But, there, you know, there's, there's some other... Cam Newton uh, could potentially be out there. So there, there are some names that I think are interesting. But you... Andy Dalton? Yeah. Uh, but then you, you think, like, <laughs> locking in that... He definitely has the higher floor, so that's versus yeah. those other names, and and that you think that is worth it. I think that's highly valuable because that's yeah. the thing, especially for like let's say Washington, right? They had so much. I mean, I guess it's it's hard to pick one quarterback, but the floor for those guys was so low, like and the ceiling 
for like let's say an Alex Smith that year, it it, it wasn't that high. Like great story, right. don't get me wrong, Alex Smith great story this year, but is, he didn't have that much to offer. He's not going to put your offense over the next level. You put Taylor Heineke in there, and all of a sudden it looked competitive against the Buccaneers. So yeah. I, I think like with a team like that, where you know the floor for them is already high, and if you bring in a Matt Stafford whose floor is equally in like similar realm, you're not having a quarterback who's going to drag you back from reaching your potential. I think that's what's valuable. And I mean, you look at so many of these quarterbacks who are in that middle tier and below, I think, yeah, when you look at a quarterback as far like on Stafford's level, it for one year, at least for, if you're a team who is trying to contend right now, that investment of a first round pick would be valuable right now because you're getting a quarterback who's going to offer you stability with also a high ceiling. So I think that's why it's valuable. And I think as far as like the Derek Carr and Matt Stafford compared, I think, yeah, they're, they're in similar tiers. I think like if you're going to trade, you know, a first round pick for Stafford, you're definitely trading a first round pick for Derek Carr. And maybe the, the ceiling is somewhat capped for both of them, but the floor I think is what you're investing in so that way they're not holding your team back. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. I mean, I think this is, I mean, he is, he's going to turn 33 pretty soon. Um, yeah. So that's still pretty young, I would say. I mean, I'm trying to think of other instances where a quarterback who at least is perceived to be this this good. I mean, if you look at the, you know, Mike Sando at the Athletic, at the Athletic he puts together this quarterback tiers piece yeah. where he talks to 50 executives. Um, Stafford came off of a good season, a good eight, shortened season, a good eight-week season. I think he was ninth um, above Matt Ryan, above Dak Prescott, above... Uh, Philip Rivers, although you know Rivers, obviously the, some of these guys are a little bit later on in their in their career, right. but still, you know, solidly in in that in that top ten. So I'm trying to think when in the past, you know, a 33 year old quarterback who is perceived potentially to be a top ten guy would be let go. Um, are you surprised that the Lions are doing this? Uh, I'm not surprised they're allowing it because it's a new regime, and I think there's an understanding, at least for Stafford. I mean, this would have been his fourth you know, different head coaching regime and fifth, if you include Daryl Bevel. Um, I don't think he wants to be a part of a rebuild. And I think that's what they're trying to do in Detroit. So it, it makes sense to allow a veteran to, you know, go out, especially, I know that it'll cost them, I think, what is it? 19 million against their cap in dead, in dead space. Forgive me. Forgive me for not knowing that number off the top of my head, but you know, like it, it it's worth the investment moving forward, especially because they hold the number seven pick in the draft. If they wanted to, they could potentially, you know, potentially try to select a, a quarterback if, you know, the, the top four guys don't go off the board by then. But, you know, it just gives them a fluidity, I guess, like in terms of moving forward. You're not wasting, you know, a quarterback's career and you're also getting the opportunity to move forward. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I mean, I do think it's one of these transition transactions that make sense, but also, we just didn't see it before, right? And I think we didn't see it before with a lot of the the player movement that we've seen recently. We definitely never seen anything like Deshaun Watson if that ends up happening. So maybe maybe the NFL is becoming a little bit less uh, stayed in its ways uh, in, in comparison to places like the NBA. And you can kind of get these win-win type of, type of transactions. And, you know, I'm all for it, right? I'm all for it to yeah. see some of these guys in different uniforms and hopefully – Makes it makes the off season a little bit more exciting, I think, too. Rather than uh, spending the entire time trying to figure out which draft pick you love the most, 
which is basically just flipping coins <laughs> for eventually what will <laughs> end up happening a few, a few miles down the road, which reminds me, buy the PFF draft guide, of course. Uh, I'll just throw that out there oh, as, a little, as a little plug as I, as I mentioned that it's all, <laughs> it's all pointless. Um, anyway, Kaylin, I, I thank you so much for spending the time here with me. Follow Kaylin on Twitter, at Kaylin Jones. Uh, read everything that he puts out. Listen to the NFL, uh, the Ringer NFL show where uh, where he's on there too, and uh, there's like five billion podcasts I, I listen to at this point. Have you have you noticed this? Are you, are you suffering from the same phenomenon now? Because I was tracking it the other day. I, uh, it used to, it used to be Bill Barnwell and Robert Mays on a podcast together. Yep. Then it was Bill Barnwell's podcast and and Ringer show, and then now it's Robert Mays has come off of uh, of yep. the Ringer show, but the Ringer show still exists. And then you had Mina Kimes fe- like guesting on Bill yep. Barnwell's show, and now she has her own pie. It's 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 Everyone really like you need podcasts. a thousand hours and um and very strong eardrums to listen to all these podcasts. But I I definitely recommend the Ringer the Ringer podcast at, at the top of there. And once again, I thank you for joining me. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me. 